Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Ken Epstein and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. And we're wrapping up our look at season six best moments. Those tiny little shots, those sequences, those scenes that really make the show what we all love. And season six, the, the the final couple episodes, Battle of the Bastards, wins a winner. We got uh, a lot to talk about. But like I said, even in the big epic sequences, there's always something little we love to focus on. Hey, Ken. So another uh, moment I wanted to talk about from season six comes from the Battle of the Bastards. And not from the battle itself, but it comes from... Uh, a scene with Sir Davos. Um, first, he's, you know, he's talking to Tormund Giantsbane, and, and, you know, Tormund's like, you want to avenge your king, don't you? And, you know, Davos explains, Davos explains, you know, Stannis, the Boltons didn't beat him, he beat himself. And then, you know, Tormund talks about Mance, and how he thought he was the man to lead him through the long night. But then Davos goes for a walk, and he comes upon the funeral, the, the pile, where Shireen was sacrificed, and what does he find? The toy. The, the toy stag that he made for her, that she was holding when she was sacrificed. Now, to be honest, I knew there was a reason she was holding that. I had a feeling that could be the way he found out. But his acting in the scene when he realizes what he's looking at and realizes what transpired was amazing. And I was actually worried because I thought he might die in the battle and never get the chance to confront Melisandre. Eric's talking about a great moment with Davos. It's a sad moment discovering the truth of Shireen and how little clues can link to big revelations with Shireen's burnt horse there. And it also is the scene with Tormund and Davos having their kind of connection, their kind of uh, what-do-you-do-before-a-war speech, and that's pretty fascinating, too, to see those characters interact. It is a sad moment, and yeah, I was wondering, too, is Davos going to go? Is he going to survive the Battle of the Bastards and ever get to you know deal with what happened with Shireen? And we'll still see. I, I think Davos to me is one of those guys that has a good chance of surviving to the end he's a, a point of view character but point of view characters of course die but it's 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 the angle on his point of view that is fascinating to me this this uh, beggar this poor folk small folk from uh, you know uh, from from flea bottom eating his bowls of brown and uh, rising up Coming, becoming the Onion Knight, becoming Stannis' hand to the king, whether or not that really meant anything in the grand picture. If you declare yourself king, are you really king? Then are you really the hand? But it meant something, and Davos would have been the actual hand had Stannis successfully taken King's Landing. So Davos has kind of been through it all. He's one of those characters we love in Game of Thrones, uh, like Bronn that's been around the world. Davos has been around the world. He's seen it all. He's been at different levels. So his point of view is enriched by his experiences. So I think he might survive to the end. He might be one of the ones that uh, helps usher in a new era. Uh, if he's going to die, at the very least, I hope it is a big 
sacrifice and has a, a death with purpose. And that's why, though, going into the Battle of the Bastards, I was afraid. And knowing that he knew the truth about Shireen, did he no longer have anything to live for? What did he believe in? The man he followed did this to his own daughter. Would that get inside Davos's head? And, well, that wasn't the case. He survived, and we still have Davos. But you're right, Eric. A, a beautifully sad moment. There was such a connection between, between Davos and Shireen. So him to learn that way, to learn the truth on the eve of battle, it's a scene that does last. All right, let's talk about it. The season six finale, The Winds of Winter the opening sequence. I think it is up there with Hard Home comes to mind right away as the best sequence in Game of Thrones. It's what, 10, 15 minutes starts that episode so well. And this is my point of these small intimate moments. We look at the opening of the season six finale as this big, giant, epic moment. Cersei taking out her enemies and destroying the Sept of Baelor. And that is what it is. But it is a testament to a bunch of small moments that make that sequence. Game of Thrones is really good at and when it takes the tension in the words, the tension in the silence, the tension in the eye contact. It's the small things that build and build and build. And then, of course, the music. Ramin Jawadi's Light of the Seven is, I think, his masterpiece so far. We'll see if in season eight something can top it. It is such a wonderful song, and that whole, again, sequence works. But it's the little moments. It's everyone getting ready and how they get ready. It is the looks of Mace Tyrell, oh, naive Mace, being duped. It's Loris confessing with pain. It's the High Sparrow, a man so humble, doesn't wear shoes, his brown sack as his clothes, as his, his slack sackcloth as his clothes. He's at his most pious, his most arrogant, his most in control. This is his moment. It's what high, the High Sparrow's been building at for two seasons. Jonathan Price plays it so good. Lancel Lan Lannister. Kevin Lannister's there, but it's Marjorie, Marjorie Tyrell that I really start to focus on. Marjorie is a B plus A minus player of the game. She understands the Game of Thrones, and she was a prospect who rose to the ranks into the position she wanted, the queen. Marjorie always was not a step behind Cersei, but maybe made the mistake of underestimating Cersei at key moments. She played her own game with the High Sparrow. She played her own game to try to free Loras Tyrell, her brother. And it backfired at times. The High Sparrow goes and gets Tommen when it was Marjorie who kind of talked to Tommen and, and kind of set up the connection, but she didn't know it would go that far. And it's the looks on her face in this opening sequence that really, really pained me when you go back and watch because... She was smart enough to win it. But Cersei... Cersei has no boundaries. She's like the Joker. 
to Batman. She's going to go as far as it takes. And yeah, her look, her sip of wine, Cersei's sip of wine is the greatest sip of wine in the history of the show. Maybe in all of pop culture. But that's at the end. That's almost the, uh, the, 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 the coming out and taking a bow. It's the little things before that. It is Pycelle going downstairs, following, falling for the ruse. And is Anton Lesser as Kyburn in the darkness who looks up with this little smile, this little almost grimace of joy. He's got Pycelle, and he says it well as the music really starts to kick in. It's Kyburn that says, you know, in order, in order to usher in the new, we have to get rid of the old. And I actually believe Kyburn when he says to Pycelle, you don't deserve this despite all your faults. You don't deserve to die alone here like this. Kyburn had a weird respect for Pycelle, maybe. It's the look on Pycelle's face knowing the end is near. It is the look on Marjorie's face and the look on the High Sparrow's face when they both know they've been defeated by Cersei Lannister. Season 6 starts with perhaps the best sequence in all of Game of Thrones, the most dramatic, the most tension, and the biggest victory for Cersei so far. It is her revenge. It is her vengeance. But as those little moments alter that sequence, I urge you to go back and watch and study and take it in. It is the show at its finest. Let's start looking at Season 7 and other conversations this holiday weekend about Game of Thrones here on Daily Thrones. We're in the middle of the Daily Thrones weekend edition here. The big show, if you're listening on the podcast, I put them all together over the weekend. And a uh, fun call from Kevin. Kevin's been trying to figure out the Night King strategy, which is um, kind of something we need here on Daily Thrones. It's a question that we we keep discussing, keep bringing up, and it is this idea of what is, what's the Night King's endgame and how is he going to conquer? Is it just a mindless move south or does he view Westeros as uh, seven kingdoms with large houses. Does he even care? Is he aware of that? I think he is in some sense and to some regard. So the idea of him uh, heading on down to the Vale, flying down while his armies are moving south, maybe heading for Winterfell, definitely heading for the last hearth, places like that, uh, maybe even over to Castle Black, maybe Molestown, maybe, maybe some of those White Walkers have some need to Molestown. Different, different topic. But the idea that Kevin's putting out here of him flying to the Vale uh, is interesting. I just love this idea of things. You know, I don't necessarily know we'll see this on the show, but you're creating some great visuals here of, uh, you know, Ice Viserion uh, high above flying out from the Vale. And you get to see all the lands in front of you that you want to conquer and all the lands that maybe you have conquered. And the idea of... Uh, <laughs> of uh, Robin Aaron becoming, uh, not just becoming a white, but kind of becoming a leader and holding down the fort for the White Walkers is awesome, entertaining, and not, I don't want to say a just reward or, uh, um, you know, not that Robin deserves that kind of uh, comeuppance, or not comeuppance, but uh, step up in the world is what I'm trying to say. It's a late night here. Bear with me. But, you know, he's a picked-upon kid. You he's a brat. He's a little weird. But you feel it's not his fault. It's not Robin Aaron's fault. So 
the fact that in uh, maybe in some sort of afterlife way he becomes uh, Robin of the Vale, the White, and and rules alongside uh, the Night King. That's an interesting angle. Is that going to happen? Definitely not going to happen on the show. Maybe in the books, because George R. R. Martin can take the story into weird places. But I like what you're thinking, Kevin. And I love the visual, again, of the Night King flying high. Maybe that doesn't happen here at the Vale. Maybe that just happens in general. And we get to see him surveying the land that he's taking over. And you mentioned it. We'd like to bring it up every now and then. Will we see Hodor again as a white, as a conquering white? Oh, that'd be painful to see. If you guys have a weird, wacky thought about how the Night King's going to take over this land or how people could stop him, we've been talking about these small moments, these great scenes and sequences on Game of Thrones. We're going to continue that looking at Season 7 and and other things. But I love talking strategy. I love trying to figure out how these big battles are going to play out in Season 8. Hey, Ken, I'm in full agreement with you that the opening of a Winds, The Winds of Winter is maybe the best sequence of the show's history. And The Winds of Winter in general is one of my favorite episodes of the series. It's right up there for me with uh, Blackwater and Season seven's The Spoils of War. But the moment I wanted to talk about is when we see the Tower of Joy and we see Ned when he's presented with the baby and the baby opens his eyes and it cuts to current day Jon Snow. I thought that was also a very, very effective sequence with the music and with everything. I totally loved it. Loved that reveal. I mean, I knew I knew that, you know, R plus L equals J, but to still see it on screen was, was amazing. Eric, you're right. That is a great sequence when we as an audience finally learn who Jon Snow really is. It has done so well. It's great because the culmination of all the things with Bran, all the uh, the journey he was on, these little flashbacks, these jumps back in time, we knew it was building to something. And, you know, Jon being who he was, was, I mean, it was never officially determined. In the books, it's not yet officially determined. But it was a foregone conclusion for a lot of us. So that sequence you're talking about works on a couple levels. For some people, it is an absolute, complete surprise reveal or something that they might have felt deep in their subconscious, but they're casual viewers of the show, and here it is, and it is this wonderful, beautiful, powerful sequence. The look in Jon Snow's eye, perhaps the one true king, perhaps uh, who, definitely who he was not born uh, as. He's more about who he is uh, born to be. Some destiny, destiny, some prophecy. It's a great moment there. And then for a lot of us, it was a confirmation of a theory we bought into a long time ago. The t-shirts we purchased, the whispers we'd say like, ooh, I know who Jon Snow is. We all kind of had it in our hearts that that was something and this was going to be the answer. And then we got it and we got it in such a wonderful way. So you're right. That is a great sequence. And the way it builds uh, the music. And then, of course, Ned Stark putting his sword or putting the sword there. Does that uh, right where he does? And the shot is clear. Is that is that John being bo- uh, born under a star? Is it, that, you know, the prophecy? I'm paraphrasing the prophecy right now. But you guys know what I'm talking about. Like all of it. And then the whisper of the name, the name that now we now know is Aegon Targaryen. Uh, the whisper of the name, we spent an entire off-season trying to guess what that name was. I kept going with Jaehaerys. I thought Jaehaerys Targaryen Snow would have been a good name, but I'm, I'm happy with Aegon. We got it. The answer was in the sequence and another great moment 
season six of Game of Thrones. All right, it's the end of the year, and you know what that means. It's time to make lists. Uh, not looking back at 2017, but looking ahead. Lists for resolutions and goals. It's big. It's important. I suggest you do it in your regular life, but I think we might need to do it as Game of Thrones fans. Now, I'm I'm not preaching from a pulpit here. I'm speaking mostly even to myself with any of these goals. 2018 is going to be an interesting year for Game of Thrones fans because we're still going to have to wait. So with the spirit of happiness as we look towards a new year, we survived 2017 season seven, which came so late in the year. We finally got it. Oh, only a small amount of episodes. How could we ever have survived? But we did. We got it. We worked through it. We're looking towards season eight. We're looking towards Winds of Winter finally coming out. We hope. We could have hope for 2018. That's a goal that George R. R. Martin needs to make. But here are just some suggestions for three goals for Game of Thrones fans in 2018. Number three, working to one, we've got to have patience. That's right. It's a long time to wait. Remember when we just had to wait a few extra months for season seven? And that seemed downright horrible. If the rumors are true, if Sophie Turner's comments can be taken at face value and is accurate, we are definitely not getting season eight until 2019. We know they're shooting now. They're in production. It's going to be longer. Kid Harrington and Rose Leslie's wedding is going to delay things just a little bit. But, hey, we're happy for them. But we need to have patience, patience, patience for season eight and still patience for the winds of winter. There's a lot of Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire book material coming out. The Targaryen history, all that kind of stuff is out there on the table. And we know George R. R. Martin, or I should say we trust that George R. R. Martin is working on all this stuff as fast, diligently as he can. Now, we don't want to force him. We don't want to force him, which is why we all need to have patience. Let's take a breath. We have a lot of time to talk about Game of Thrones, Daily Thrones, your guys' voice helping my voice talk about Game of Thrones every day. I mean, that shows we can do it. We can wait. Two, number two goal for 2018, uh, as we look, see, I need to have patience, is to let's, uh, let's work on ourselves to be a positive fandom. We've seen what's happened recently with Star Wars. We know what goes on with DC versus Marvel. We want to be passionate fans, knowledgeable fans, but have some common sense. If someone doesn't like season seven of Game of Thrones, it's okay. Hear their reasons. Give your reasons. Still love them. Still like them. Still have them as your friends and family. Let's not be one of those toxic fandoms. Uh, I think here on Daily Thrones, we have a uh, cultivated a very positive uh, atmosphere and a positive celebratory approach to Game of Thrones. That's what I like to build. But let's work on ourselves to make sure we are not a toxic fandom. And that leads me to my number one goal for 2018 as a Game of Thrones fan is to start the process to manage your expectations for the final season. That does not mean lowering our standards of what we want from the show. I think the show in general always hits those standards. But to speculate responsibly, as we say over on Force Center about Star Wars stuff, 
to have our fun theories. We have wild fun theories here on Daily Thrones, but to not lock ourselves into them and manage our expectations of what the final show will be, of what that answer for how does the show end will be, because chances are it might disappoint. Chances are it might not be what you wanted. It might be something that you actually don't like, or it might be something you love and your friend hates. One thing we can't do, again, going to avoid being a toxic fandom, is we just can't lock our expectations in, keep them there. Let's keep an open mind and enjoy the answers as they unfold in Season 8. But we have a year to get ready. And also, maybe as a sub-goal, let's keep avoiding spoilers, or at least avoiding the irresponsible spreading of Game of Thrones Season 8 spoilers. That's it for now. See you guys. This weekend edition of Daily Thrones rolls on. It's New Year's Eve where I am at. Some of you may have already crossed that midnight line celebrating a new year. So we're in the past. If you're listening to the future, trippy man. Uh, thanks to all you nice sponsors for the Game of Thrones fan goals yesterday. All part of this weekend edition here of Daily Thrones. Uh, got a call that uh, we are going to take right now. And we're going to definitively answer this question or place our bets as a team here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, this is uh, Brian. Quick question. Do you think we will see Cereal Pharrell, the first sort of Bravos, come back? As unlikely as it is, you never really saw him die on camera. And I got to say, he's probably the one character that I would love to have come back the most and I don't I've never read the books so I don't know if he if it says that he died in the books or if he was even in the books so I was just wondering via TV show since you never saw him die is there a possibility as as little or as minuscule as it is for him to come back in the last season thanks all right, this is the answer. Great question, great call, Brian. We have talked about Cereal Pharrell a lot on the show because I think he's a, he's a favorite for a lot of people. And yeah, he is, uh, I think, the poster person for he didn't die on screen. And I believed at one point I was the one of those people that saw that shadow was back in season six on the back of a wall in Bravos and, uh, during a Waif Arya scene. I thought, he's going to show up and save Arya from the Waif. I, I could easily fall into that conspiracy theory trap because I love Cereal Pharrell so much. Great character. And yeah, didn't die on screen. Much like, say, Stannis. Uh, but Stannis is dead, right? But it's the Hound's death that had all of us going, wait, we didn't see him die. We didn't see him die. And if you're a book reader or show reader or not, you, the, the idea of uh, the gravedigger still being alive or the gravedigger possibly being the hound existed in the books of the show. It was wide open. So, yeah, the hound didn't die on screen. We didn't see it. So it gives you reason to believe that anyone else who dies off screen might not have died at all. Cyril Pharrell, I believe, died now. It's been so long. So this is why I'm saying it's the official Daily Thrones bet. Place your bets. Place your bets. I'm saying all in on Cereal Pharrell being dead. And yeah, Brian, he was in the books, uh, described a little bit different, but that's uh, pretty common from the book to the show. Uh, I love his show uh, version interpretation just as much as the book's version and interpretation. So that's my official bet. No, no Cereal Pharrell coming back. However, of all the characters to be making a comeback, who could still make a comeback? 
that is one that I would love to see figure into the end, figure into Arya's storyline. Maybe at the end of all of this, I still love this idea of Arya, 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 Arya going west of west and finding out what the rest of this world is. She had mentioned that, uh, I think, what, to Lady Crane by going west of west. I, I love this idea. And maybe it is Jagan Hagar and or Serio Pharrell showing back up. Different person, same face. I don't know. Something mysterious. There's weird things going on in Bravos. Serio Pharrell shows back up and saves the day and takes Arya on an adventure of the lifetime beyond that. Maybe, just maybe, that could happen. What do you guys think? Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. It's approximately 7.07 p.m. in the land that's always winter here, uh, celebrating uh, New Year's with friends here in Sweden. And uh, we all just, of course, started talking, and we kind of heard the podcast, and uh, everyone here just loves the community and uh, loves you in particular. And having said that, uh, we all started talking, and I know we brought it up on the show uh, once before, but I would really like to see as a goal uh, for 2018 that the fandom get behind and irritate or bother HBO and the show to release the bigger episodes in the movie theaters simultaneously as they are at home. To see the Siege of Winterfeld and hopefully Plan B, remember, speculate responsibly, uh, on the big screen with a crowd of people in IMAX would be spectacular. Let's try to make that happen in 2018. Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks again. Now, that's a goal I can get behind. Game of Thrones releasing some of the bigger episodes this season in a theater. Now, will they do it? No. Will they do it simultaneously, as you suggest, Kevin, with the show on a Sunday night? Uh, I would love to, but that's impossible. But we do have time. And you're right. Maybe it's a fan campaign. Release them in theaters. I actually didn't get a chance to see the final two episodes of season four that they released in theaters in IMAX. And I had a, there were screenings here in LA. I just didn't get out to see it. I do regret that. Um, So I would love to see it. Now, like you said, big screen, big crowd, theater, reactions. That would be interesting. That'd be fun. But I would be worried about seeing them for the first time with a large crowd because the reactions, which would make it fun, you might miss some of the more important things, some of the little moments, some of the key information drops, everything in these episodes. That's actually why I personally don't have a lot of Game of Thrones viewing parties. I actually just try to watch them with uh, myself or someone I, I know and trust who will watch the show in the same manner as I do because I love to just study them. And even though I watch the episode two or three times, especially if I'm uh, hosting a show during this season, I, I still still like to take it in myself. I guess I'm just a grumpy old fan, right? But I would like to experience it with the crowd uh, if I had already seen it. So maybe if there's a showing later at night, uh, I can watch it home on HBO now and then head out to a theater with a crowd. That would be fun. So how do we do this? How do we begin? I don't know. GOT in theaters? Hashtag? I don't know. Season 8 in theaters? Season 8 big screen? You guys figure it out. We'll suggest it. We'll put it out there. But that'd be interesting. And Happy New Year to you, Kevin, all the way out in Sweden. Hey, Ken, so to answer Brian's question about Sirio Pharrell, okay, I also, I would love for him to show back up. I would absolutely love it. And I, for a while, thought he was going to show back up because, of course, we didn't see him die. He was putting up even with just a wooden sword, even just even when the sword broke, he was putting up one hell of a good fight against armored 
uh, guards and stuff. But if I had to place a bet, he put me to it. I had to place a bet. I would say I do think he's dead. I would have to bet that he is, in fact, dead, dead. But would I love to be wrong? Absolutely. I want to be wrong on this. Wrapping up the weekend holiday weekend edition of Daily Thrones. All this goes under the Daily Thrones podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. But as I sign off for the weekend and the holidays, the clock is a few hours away from midnight here on the West Coast where I am. A lot of you have crossed that barrier. And just want to say thanks again to all of you for making this first year of Daily Thrones on Anchor. A very fun one. We began this adventure in March and uh, we're still going strong. Hopefully go strong through 2018. Your guys' voice and uh, participation makes it a success. Let's spread the word. Let's do this. Let's grow the Daily Thrones community. And uh, we got a long time, a year or so, to Season 8. But we are going to have a lot of fun discussing it, breaking down. we still got our favorite moments in Season 7 to talk about. We've got some scenarios for Season 8 some speculating responsibly about season eight looking uh, in the past and of course the books i think we'll start diving more into the books this next year here on daily thrones because this is a as i always say a quick look at the world of ice and fire that's all of it it's not just the show though the show's clearly the uh what the spotlight usually is on we have got uh, the focus going to be on the books a little bit this year and supplemental material we'll have some fun we'll play along uh, we'll speculate, like I said, our wild, crazy theories. You guys have made this year here on Daily Thrones uh, very, very fun, very, very fulfilling. It was uh, went a different direction when I started this show. I didn't think it would go into such a, a, a fun community with regular callers, regular contributors, and uh, that's all because of you guys. You guys took to this uh, new form, this new app. Uh, hopefully Anchor can continue to grow in 2018 so that I can continue to do this show that's it for now. Happy New Year. If you're still out there celebrating, celebrate safely, and we'll see you in 2018. Valor Mongolus.